hearing will come to order. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you all for joining us today for our second hearing this Congress of the Senate Environment and Public Works Subcommittee on Fisheries, Water, and Wildlife. Not only are we set to discuss drinking water and wastewater infrastructure in tribal communities uh, here in EPW, but I'm happy to share that as we speak, Subcommittee Chairman Wyden of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee is also holding a hearing on water access in underserved communities. Uh, and next week, Chairman Schatz will join us by holding a hearing of the Indian Affairs Committee on related issues as well. Uh, so there's a growing consensus here, which is encouraging news. Ensuring tribal access to water and sanitation is a multi-jurisdictional, multi-committee, multi-agency problem. And I'm proud that there's a commitment amongst my Senate colleagues to tackle it. As we'll hear from our witnesses today, this is an often overlooked and underfunded area with serious impacts on the health and well-being of countless Native American communities. So I want to thank Chairman Carper and Ranking Member Capito, as well as my subcommittee Ranking Member Senator Lummis for prioritizing this issue. Uh, Senator Lummis is on the way. She'll be joining us uh, in a few minutes, and we expect Chairman Carper uh, and other members of the committee as well. I also want to take a moment to thank all of our witnesses for joining us to help convey the challenges that Indian country still faces in the year 2023. The challenges still faced in securing adequate water infrastructure for their communities. As I mentioned, we're here today to learn more about the current state of drinking and wastewater infrastructure in Indian country. In 2023, there's no reason why any person in America should lack clean and affordable water in their taps and in their showers and reliable plumbing in their homes. Yet, far too many tribal communities across the country, uh, for too many of them, reliable and affordable water infrastructure has become a privilege and not a right. Native American households are 19 times more likely than white households to lack indoor pipes for running water and sanitation. Let me emphasize that statistic a little bit. Not 19% more likely, 19 times more likely. And even that stat on the shortage of physical infrastructure doesn't begin to capture the gap in water quality for Native Americans. Inadequate water supply and deteriorating pipes can impact the public health education, and economic development of tribal communities. And it's easy to see why. If you can't trust the water you're drinking or the plumbing that keeps your home sanitary, it harms your quality of life. On top of that, tribal communities' water systems are almost all small or rural, as well as understaffed, often with only one person dedicated to transportation infrastructure and energy infrastructure and water services and more. And unlike state and local governments, tribal governments lack the tax base for infrastructure improvement and staff, often exacerbating water access issues and leading to higher water bills for tribal homes. Now, I know we've seen these problems in California where, for example, the Tule River tribe, like so many others, was forced onto a reservation without 
the irrigation and water storage facilities that the federal government promised. The Thule River tribe faces a constant battle to access clean water. Families are forced to haul in water by truck for their own daily hygiene or for their children to drink. And on days when water is too tough to get, some simply go without. And when disaster strikes, as it did last month, when a stray lightning bolt knocked out power, hundreds lose access to clean water in an instant. So this must be an urgent priority for the federal government, which, I will remind us, has a moral and legal trust responsibility to act. Of course, last year, after decades of neglect, Congress did step up to make transformational investments in tribal infrastructure through the bipartisan infrastructure law, which will bring nearly $870 million to the EPA for tribal infrastructure construction and $3.5 billion to the Indian Health Service for tribal sanitation. That's good news. But for as much good as that funding will do, the need in tribal communities is even greater. And they'll need not just an initial surge of funding for new projects, but sustained funding for securing the long-term stability of the water systems. That could mean new and continued funding for operations and maintenance so that even without tax revenues, tribes have a reliable stream of funding to repair and maintain water infrastructure when needed after the initial investments dry up. That could mean improved technical assistance to better support the design of tribal projects that will receive federal funding. That could mean increased workforce development for understaffed water managers and tailored certification training for tribal operators whom hundreds of people might rely on to stay safe. And as we focused on my first subcommittee hearing, that could mean finally funding a permanent water rate assistance program like we have for energy assistance with LIHEAP to ensure that Native American households aren't saddled with high water bills that they can't afford. So there's a lot on the table today, and I'm looking forward to hearing from each of our witnesses about what you're seeing on the ground and what you see as the most direct solutions to getting tribal communities the support that they need. And with that, I'll introduce and turn it over to Ranking Member Lummis for her opening statement. Oh, well, thank you, Mr. Chairman. It's a pleasure to serve with you and uh, your interest in this subject and mine dovetail tremendously, and we're grateful to our witnesses for being here today. I especially want to extend a warm welcome to Jola Wallowingbull, who has taken time to travel from the Wind River Reservation to be here with us today. Jola, thank you so much for coming. Having access to both clean drinking water and wastewater infrastructure is a necessity for communities in this day and age. It's what keeps our children safe as they develop, what keeps communities strong and bound together, and what allows economic growth to occur. Without access to adequate drinking water and wastewater infrastructure, a community will oftentimes struggle to survive. 
Unfortunately, far too many communities lack access to this basic infrastructure, and too many of those communities are those of our tribal neighbors. It is my hope that this hearing today will give the members of this committee greater insight into the unique challenges that tribes face when providing safe and affordable drinking water and wastewater services. The EPA can and must do better when it comes to prioritizing funding decision timing for tribes. This includes prioritizing tribal communities within the small and disadvantaged grant program. I'm also particularly interested to hear how effective EPA is in communicating the regulatory requirements that tribes must meet under the Clean Water Act and Safe Drinking Water Act. So I hope we'll hear something about that from our witnesses. EPA's decision to move forward with a national primary drinking water standard for certain PFAS compounds will mean that tribes will need to install expensive treatment technology in order to maintain compliance. The installation, operation, and maintenance costs will ultimately be borne by members of the tribe. I will be interested to also hear from the witnesses about how they plan to keep water rates affordable if they're forced to install these new technologies. I would also be remiss if I did not reiterate my concern with EPA's proposal to list PFAS compounds under CERCLA. The liability costs that small rural and tribal water systems would face if this rule is finalized could be crushing and would be crushing for some tribes. This committee must thoroughly address passive receiver liability issues at the earliest possible time so that small system operators have the regulatory certainty they need to continue to provide clean, uh, clean drinking water. So thank you again for calling this hearing, Mr. Chairman, and thanks again to our witnesses. I look forward to hearing your opening statements, and I look forward to our discussion afterwards. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, before we hear from our witnesses, let me uh, afford them a very proper introduction. Uh, we are joined by Ken Norton, who serves not only as director of the Hoopa Valley Tribal Environmental Protection Agency in California, but also chairs the National Tribal Water Council, which advocates for the best interests of Native American and Alaskan Native tribes on water. Uh, specifically, they assist the U.S. EPA with research and information for decision-making on water issues. So I know Mr. Norton will be a great resource to the subcommittee on how we can bolster EPA's tribal water programs. Uh, I'd also like to introduce Mr. Brian Bannon, who is the Tribal Water Systems Department Director at the Intertribal Council of Arizona, which is an intertribal consortium of 21 tribes in Arizona. Mr. Bennon oversees the Council's National Training, Certification, and Technical Assistance Services for Drinking Water and Wastewater Operator Personnel. And last but not least, or I'll turn it over to Senator Lummis to introduce our third witness. Oh, thanks so much. Um, Jola Wallowing Bull is the director of the Northern Arapaho Tribal Engineering Department. 
She is an enrolled member of the Northern Arapaho Tribe from the Wind River Indian Reservation. She graduated from the University of Wyoming in 2006 with a Bachelor of Science degree in Architectural Engineering. She was also recognized as the first American Indian woman to receive a degree in Architectural Engineering from the University of Wyoming. Jola is currently the director for the Northern Arapaho Tribal Engineering Department, where she works with state and federal funding agencies to improve the water and wastewater systems for the Northern Arapaho communities. She's worked in this position since 2016 and has established a solid foundation for the department. And Mr. Chairman, I would be remiss in not having you notice the beautiful skirt that she's wearing. Uh, she, um, a friend of hers uh, on the reservation made the skirt particularly for her visit today to Washington, and it is stunning. So uh, I, I hope everyone will take advantage of seeing that fabulous work of art that she's wearing. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Thank you very much. Welcome to all three witnesses. Mr. Norton, we'll begin with you.